welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. cross. Let's stand, open our Bibles tonight to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, here's what I'm afraid we do is we read scripture, we breeze over it, rush through it, uh, because this is one of those chapters that we've read many times before. We fail to think about the words, the phrases, and what God has to say for us tonight. I want you to think for a minute about what God is saying. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, look what it says. He refused. Now what would he refuse? To be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Have you ever thought about that? That's amazing. That's a very prestigious statement calling, birth, position, in his case, placement, had to be put in the palace, raised in the palace, and then to say, I don't want to be known as royalty. I don't want to be known as the king's son, Pharaoh's child. Look what it says in verse 25. He chose, okay, then what did he choose? He chose rather to suffer. These are some pretty amazing statements with the, the affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. He knew they were just for a season. Esteeming, okay, what's he esteemed? The reproach of Christ. He said even the worst that comes with serving God. The reproach, the stigma, is to be more highly esteemed than the riches that would be considered the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect and the recompense of the reward by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. We spoke about that this morning. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. I want to ask Brother Dave Merrill to lead us in prayer tonight as we come. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach tonight on these two words, eternal perspective. I'm convinced uh, if we're going to do what we're supposed to do as a church, what we're supposed to do as Christians not just in our community, but around the world, we've got to develop an eternal perspective. Now, if you look at these men that you find in Hebrews chapter 11, I, if we were to frame a chapter and put in the heroes of the faith, uh, we wouldn't see things as God sees them, and some of these men we would have left out. I personally would have left out Samson and Jephthah, and probably Barak, better known as the helper of Deborah, uh, after some of the mistakes, you know, that uh, others made, I don't think I would have mentioned uh, Sarah maybe in the same context. Uh, or And God puts them in uh, because he said despite their faults, despite their failures, they did have an eternal perspective. Their mind was focused on uh, eternity, not on this life. In this world, I found this out after being on the mission field for 16 years, especially the United States of America, is constantly pushing you to be focused, entirely focused, totally focused on the things of this life. 
right now, the here and the now, forget about forever, forget about eternity. You need to worry about today money, finances, health, and whatever concerns you in this life at this very moment. And we don't have an eternal perspective. Because when you get an eternal perspective, you look extreme. You look radical. You look crazy. It's kind of hard to focus on forever today. We focus on today forever. That, you know, thinking about heaven, thinking about eternity, thinking about life after this life, thinking about what really matters. Now, it, 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 let's, let's just talk about the facts for just a minute. Okay, I uh, did a little computer work this week. And to, to try to be ex exact as possible, uh, this is constantly in a state of flux, these numbers, but there are 232 countries, more or less, depending on which ones are in civil war and will divide over the next few days or weeks. Um, uh, there are nearly 7 billion people on this planet. 3 billion are still waiting to hear about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for their sins. Try to comprehend that number. 3 billion. 4,000 people groups are still waiting to have a Bible in their language. There's 307 million in the United States of America alone. 25 million in our state. Nearly 1 million in greater Austin. 150,000 of those die every day. Take a breath. Eight just died. They passed off into eternity. Now, here's the real question. Is that even a concern to us as Christians? Does that even matter? Now, here's what we need to do tonight, just be honest. If we are called of God, you're saved. Christ didn't just die for you. He wasn't beaten just for you. That was for every man that was ever to walk this planet. Now, here's the first hurdle that we've got to jump, the first obstacle we've got to get past, and that is, do we even care? This life has us in a chokehold, and we're so pressured so uh, uh, it, it determined to, to, to make it and, and succeed and have a better life and put our finances in order, that uh, those three billion that have never heard, uh, listen, there are many of those that live in Austin. There are some of those that are your neighbors. And we can't have an eternal perspective until we say God's concern is all about souls and the souls of men. Now, let me ask you this. If of those 7 billion, there's 3 billion that are unreached, what's the problem? This is the generation that has the means. Why is it that when we read the book of Acts and we see extreme Christianity in action, that they, without modern transportation, they, without printing presses, without the Bible in print, without an entire compilation of 66 books of the Bible without God's simple plan of salvation tracts that they could hand out individually, without John and Romans to pass out on their mission trips, without local churches to support them and uh, to, to provide ministries and outreach opportunities in the community, without air transportation, they reached the known world. And repeatedly, we see whether it's in Colossians or in uh, Acts, 
Listen, God does not exaggerate. And when he said that all of Asia heard the word, that means all of Asia heard the word. Now, folks, let me ask you this. If they, those 12 men on fire with the Apostle Paul reaching out, reached the known world without the conveniences and the means that we have, radio, TV, Internet, why is it that we're not reaching our world? It's called a difference in perspective. We can, we could, we should, we would if every person had the same perspective. Which was, or which is, it is my job to reach out and help win the world in my lifetime. Now, 99% of our time is spent doing other things. For the average Christian, sadly enough, it's 100% of his time is spent doing other things. Now, folks, I need your attention tonight. I don't need you to tune me out yet. I need you to allow the Holy Spirit to do work in your heart so we're all getting on the same page and saying, God wants me to have an eternal perspective. And that's why God highlighted these names and he said their focus wasn't the temporal, their focus wasn't the source. They were looking for a city not made with hands. They were not looking at the temporal. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians so you can see their perspective. 1 Corinthians 4.18. Excuse me. It must be 2 Corinthians. I must have written it incorrectly in my notes, 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen. Now let me ask you that, this question. How many can actually say with Paul, I don't look at the things that are seen. But we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, what's the problem? They're temporal. They're going to pass away. It's short-lived. It's a blip on the radar. It's... In time and eternity, the name brand on your shoes, how many shirts you have in the closet, how expensive your tie is, does not matter. The car you drive, the house that you live in, but the things which are not seen are what? That's difficult. Now, if... If we have the right perspective and we're looking at eternity and saying, okay, my life has got to revolve around the eternal, things that really matter, things that last, things that I can take to heaven. The only thing on that list are the souls of men. That's the right perspective. That's a biblical perspective. That's an eternal perspective. Now the question is, if we have the means, we're in the, from the United States of America, we have the money. I read a statistic this week, and I didn't write it down. I can't remember it. The billions of dollars that are made by independent Baptist fundamental Christians is enough to reach the world a thousand times over. The problem is that money is not invested in, the majority of that money is not invested in missions or reaching the lost or even reaching our communities. It's invested in impressing the lost. Now, what's the problem? Luke. Chapter 14, our churches have become mega centers of attraction. We're not reaching the lost. We're simply trying to seat the lost. Now, look at the man who came to this earth to plant a church. And I want you to see his teaching. And I want you to see what it has to do with Christians in 2011. Verse 25, there went great multitudes with him. 
And he turned and said to them. Now, you can understand, he's risking his congregation here because what were those words we just read? Who's following him? Great. Okay, how many remember the feeding of the 5,000? And, okay, that, when they counted 5,000, who were they counting? Just the men. We're talking a crowd of 15, 20, easily 25,000 people. So when we're talking about great multitudes, we're not talking about hundreds here. We're talking about literally thousands. And he gets them seated. He gets their attention. And he begins his prosperity, health, and wealth gospel approach. And the first sentence of his message is this. If any man come to me and hate not his daddy, his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, his sisters, yea, his own life. Wow. Uh, Lord, you might want to tune it, tone it down a little bit because you're really going to start to weed these people out. I remember years ago when we were in Mexico, uh, our church grew by 80 over one summer. Folks, that's not healthy growth. And I knew that. So I preached six weeks on a series of messages that were titled this, Why This Church Is Not For You. My wife is here. She'll testify. Uh, during the course of that summer, we lost several families. The only problem was it was not the family that I intended to lose. And I made a determination after I preached that series of messages that I'd never do that again. Now, you know what Christ was doing? He was preaching a series of thoughts why the Christian life is not for you. You know what we're doing in our mega centers today? Uh, it was coming back to the States, boy, I, you know, I came back naive. I'd been on the field for 16 years. And, and, and you see what's going on. Like, today's Christianity is about feed the flesh. Uh, we've got essential generation, so let's make the church essential and as attractive as possible so people come, they feel good, have a great experience, go home pumped up, and let's, let's not worry about getting them the whole counsel of God. Let's not worry about them uh, hearing God's Word. And here's what Christ said. He got the whole multitude together. And instead of preaching John 3:16, he said, If you don't got your hater going, you can't even beat my disciple. He said, I don't like that. Well, I'm sure there was a big crowd there that didn't like it either. He said, some of you say, Well, Pastor, would you explain that to me in the Greek? Because... I'll explain it to you. He that doesn't hate his mother, father, it, it, the Greek includes the mother-in-law in there too. I can say that because I have the sweetest mother-in-law on the planet. Amen? So I'm in no danger. But those of you who do have problems are in danger. That's why you're sitting there very tense and worried, afraid to look at your mother-in-law who is present. Verse 27. Whosoever doth not... Now, it gets worse. You would think from here he'd try to patch it up and say, well, what I really meant is for your love, for me to be so strong and so obvious that other people mistake that as if it were hatred. He didn't even explain himself. Some of you are looking at me cross-eyed tonight. Folks, I did not write Luke 14, I promise. This is not Adam chapter 14. This is God's holy word written by the Holy Spirit. Whosoever doth not bear his cross. Now, why do you have to bring the cross into this and come after me? He says, you cannot even be my disciple. And then he goes into an exegesis of counting the cost. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first? And what? What's the first thing you need to do? Count the cost. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, how attractive was this message? 
What do you think happened to the crowd? Do you think he offended a few that were present? Now, what is the problem? Why is it in this generation we're not reaching the world? There's not an eternal perspective because we refuse to count the cost. Okay, preacher, if we're supposed to reach the world, if we're supposed to reach out to our community, if this church is going to reach Austin with the gospel of Jesus Christ, north, south, east, and west, if we're going to reach from Georgetown to Kyle and Buda and Cedar Park, okay, tell me the cost. Put it on paper to see if we can raise some money. The problem is it's going to cost you every day Every week, every month, as long as you live, that's the cost. There's a cost. Uh, let me break the bad news to you. There's a cost to biblical giving. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever read the Bible examples? Have you ever read who God highlights in Scripture when it comes to giving, Brother Van? Kind of brutal. I mean, you start back there with uh, um, Elijah the widow. Uh, he goes uh, uh, up to her little hut. He's thinking, you know, when he gets a command... Uh, to go find the widow. He's thinking it's Dell's widow. You know, he thinks he's going to wander up there to some mountain chalet, and he wanders over, and it's a little piece of cardboard with a tin roof and a lady in a ragged dress, and she has a few sticks on the ground. She's lighting a fire, and she's got some kind of mush or something in a tin piece of something. And he says, okay, Lord, give me that address again. I'm going to retype it in my GPS. Somehow we messed up on the street here. The Lord said, no, this is the woman. He said, ma'am, <coughs> my throat's dry from the journey. Can you give me some water? And the Lord said, hey, food. Lord, I can't handle seven-grain cereal. She's about ready to make that into a cake. <laughs> now listen to me. You know what? She gave all she had. Biblical giving. You know what we want to do? We, we try to classify what we do or what we give as biblical, and it's not biblical because we make sure to eliminate all the sacrifice. I give as long as there's no sacrifice involved. So I'm going to calculate. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to play with the numbers. Uh, I'll give my tithe, but I'm going to calculate uh, this is net because it's just by because I gave it to the government and I paid off my taxes. So I got to, uh, you know, we're, we are determined to make sure any giving we do is not biblical. Because if it costs me anything, I cross the line. If it means sacrifice. Do you remember the widow in Christ there in the scriptures uh, standing in the temple and he's watching everyone give and you know, some of the men are walking out and pulling out wads of cash out of their pocket, throwing it in the offering, and the disciples are going, ooh, and Judas' eyes are popping out of his head. He's thinking, I can't wait to take that bag home. And in comes a poor little widow woman, and she drops in a coin, and it rattles around the bottom of the plate. Christ said, wow, did you, did you guys see that? And he said, what, Lord? A penny. He said, no, she just gave everything she had. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 14? Mary comes and she takes that box of precious spikenard that the Bible says was 300 pence a year's wage and goes broke for Jesus. She breaks it on him, anoints him. And you know who criticizes that kind of giving? Yeah, you got it. Those that are full of the devil. So the Bible said, 
said Judas, fool the devil, son of perdition, said, hey, now let me just ask you something tonight. Here's what we want. We want a Christianity that costs us nothing. We want a Christian school that doesn't cost us anything. We want a building that doesn't cost us anything. We want a pastor that doesn't cost us anything. We want Bibles that don't cost anything. We want tracts that don't cost anything. We want special music and special programs and club ministries and trips. But please tell me it's for free. I want to reach the world and I want to bring in missionaries and I don't want it to cost. You know how to irritate the average independent Baptist talk about money oh we rarely do it we do it three or four times a year but even if you just do it three or four times a year you're going to make an independent baptist man because independent baptist saying surely there's a way to do the will of god for free and christ said who's going to go out there go to war build a tower do something in his right mind before he sits down and counts the cost now, folks, if you live the Christian life, it's going to cost you something. And that's what we don't like. I can't afford Christianity. Christ said, you can't even be my disciple. Who said, that sounds to me like you're running people off. No, it sounds to me like Christ was running people off. I mean, if you think he's serious, here, go back a couple of chapters. The message is already brutal in chapter 9. Go back to chapter 9. These are passages we don't preach on anymore. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. You know there's a cost to biblical surrender? You know, you know what we do? We've taught our kids to surrender to the perfect will of God. But we failed to teach them and explain what we were saying because they thought the will of God would be perfect for me, perfect for my flesh, perfect for my wants. So I'm surrendering to the perfect will of God as long as I think it's perfect. Look what Christ said in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It came to pass as they went away, a certain man said, the Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Here's the disciple. He's fervent. He's surrendered, right? Now let me ask you this. How many Christians even get to this point? How many people actually take the step where they say, Christ, I'm willing to follow thee. I want to go all out. I'm sold out 100%. I'm right. I got my foot on the gas pedal. I'm ready to die for you, Lord. I'm ready to do whatever it takes. And Christ didn't even say, hey, jump on board. He said, verse 58, Jesus said, love you, buddy. Number 13, everybody give him a round of applause. Bring him a suit and a tie and a little badge that says, big one three. He said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I don't even have a place as big as the foxes or as nice as the birds. And he said to another, how about you? You're going to follow me? But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. My father just passed away. The, 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 the funeral is scheduled for tomorrow at 5 o'clock. I've got to get some things in order. And wow, Christ is brute. Look, look what Christ says. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the kingdom. Did no one ever teach him to be politically correct? How many of you wouldn't be offended by that? Now, folks, let's be honest. Because Let's just uh, take off your pious face and put it underneath the pew for a minute. And put on your honest face and just say, if your dad passed away and the funeral is tomorrow, and you said, 
I'm going to Bible college. And the, 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 the dean of the university said, you know what? You can go right now and sign up. If you wait away a day and go to the funeral, you're out. You know what 99.9% of the people say? I'm out. You say, preacher, would you explain that passage? No. How am I going to explain that passage? In verse 61, another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are my house. Lord, I want to follow you, but I need to go hug my mom. I need to go tell everyone goodbye. I need to put my things in order. And then I'm on the bus. I'm there. I'm going to catch in Samaria. I'm on my way. Hallelujah. This is great. Got my hair cut short. My Bible held high. My tie tied right. I'm on fire. I'm ready to go. And Christ said, you don't got time to say goodbye. Let's go. And you think I'm brutal? Jesus said to him, no man having put his hand to the plow. Look what he called this young man who said, I just want to go tell everyone goodbye. He said, no man that puts his hand on the plow and looks back is even fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. That's called rough preaching. That would blow 90% of the people in the average church right out the door. Whoosh. One Sunday, one message. These are chapters that people just don't read anymore, and if they do read them, they don't understand them. If they do understand them, they definitely don't preach them. Here's what we don't like. There's a cost involved. Oh, we like to preach about Abraham having a child at 100 years old, but we don't like to talk about him living in tents for 40 or 50 years. We like to talk about Moses being the greatest leader that ever lived, and he's in the wilderness for 40 years with a bunch of gripers, and he gave up the palace. How's that for prosperity gospel? You know what Satan says? Give, just make sure it doesn't cost you anything. Surrender. Just make sure it's as much your perfect will as it is his perfect will. Now, does it surprise you in this generation of Christianity that expects God to make things good for us that we have no one surrendering? I've seen something happen over the past 20 years. I went to Bible college in a day and age where it was commonplace to see young people and old people and people of all ages. For St. Pierre, you went to school with me. We saw people on a regular basis surrendering to do the will of God, and now those people spread out all over this planet doing the work of God. And now you can, it doesn't matter if you bring the most dynamic preacher in the world, the most Holy Spirit-filled pastor on the planet. You just don't find anyone surrendering. You know why? Our young people know. They've been told by their parents. Serving God's hard. It's awful. May you not imagine what you've got to give up. Our kids can't even give up Xbox. That would blow their mind. You can take my life. Just please don't take my Xbox. I'll surrender me. Just don't ask me to surrender we. If we've got a generation that gets mad about backing off their three hours on that Xbox and taking it down to 30 minutes, you think that child would actually come forward and say, God, send me to China, Africa, or Afghanistan? Folks, I'm just telling you, 
I'm not sitting around trying to please this crowd. I'm not going to cater to the flesh. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I'm telling you our responsibility in 2011 is still the same as it was in 1991 when I was in Bible college. It's still about reaching the world with the gospel of Christ, and God is still concerned about every soul on the planet. But our problem is, we've sat in the missions conferences, we've heard men preach, but we know deep down inside the cost is just too great. I'm going to have to drive an older car. I'm going to have to shop sales at J.C. Penney. Oh, me, oh, my. I'm going to have to do more at Ross Dress. I'm going to have to do less at Ross Dress for less. More yard selling, an older home. We'll never be able to move up to three vehicles while the rest of the world walks. Our cars aren't nice enough, fast enough, big enough, new enough. That same car you purchased just three years ago now needs to be replaced. Some of you remember when a 10-year-old car would have been a huge step up. Now the thought of a 10-year-old vehicle brings panic to the depths of your soul. Here's what we'll do. I'll give the missions. But not if it costs me a year on my vehicle. If it costs me anything in my wardrobe, there's no way I'm going to do anything for missions that costs me a pair of shoes or two degrees on the thermostat. Folks, I'm confused. I don't even know what kind of preaching we want in this day and age. We want to put the Great Commission in the closet and talk about a convenient Christianity. We hold our lives so dear and our peace so sweet that everything else must be sacrificed at all costs. I've got to lay the Great Commission on that altar. And I've got because, listen, that, that is going to cost me my dreams, my ambitions, my future, my career, all the things, I, I, I listen to people and I want to laugh. People stand up and say, well, you know what I gave up? Folks, I, I, I got bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a personal secret that will reveal your personal secret. If God hadn't called me to preach, listen, when God called me to preach, he did me a favor because if I hadn't been called to preach, Brother Jay, I would have starved to death. I don't know how to do maintenance. I've been a general con- uh, contractor of a, a major building project. But that was something that was forced upon me. Amen. And some of you think, well, if I serve God, it's going to cost... Yeah, it's going to cost you 32000 a year and a job at McDonald's. <laughs> Amen. It's going to cost you three big letters on a shirt and some dry cleaning. A mean boss and a lot of headache. Man, you would think anybody in their right mind would be jumping up and down during a missions conference and saying... Listen, folks, every time we have a missionary through, I'm putting my hand high in the air and saying, God, if you put me on a ship, you'd have one happy customer. And he knocks the wind out of me every time I try to say it. <laughs> I don't understand. What, what is up with this generation that is sitting back there terrified, horrified, upset with the very thought of getting in the middle of the will of God? You might actually see something happen. You might see souls saved. You might make your life count. God might actually use you to do something greater than you could ever imagine. But you're saying, no. My, oh my. I've got the potential to go from flipping burgers at 
Dairy Queen to regional manager. I've got it in my DNA. You overestimate yourself. If you read your Bible, you will realize that everyone that surrendered to the will of God, including his only son, it cost him a fortune. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be made equal with God. Took upon him the form of a servant, being made found in the fashion of man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the what? Death of the cross. That cost him something. Do you remember the story of Peter and everyone, uh, you know, every preacher comes through, they're, they're, they're trying to show their knowledge of Hebrew and Greek. And they take you to John 20 and say, do you agape uh, the Lord or do you phileo? Wow. And what Christ was telling Peter, phileo me, phileo me. And... Peter said, I, I'm trying. And then he said, agape me. Come on. I mean, you're hurting. I, I, I can't even get through this. I, I can't imagine someone doing that for 30 minutes. He wasn't talking about agape and phileo. He was trying to tell Peter, listen, you say you love me. Here comes the test. I'm going to let you know you're going to die. They're going to hang you on a cross. And then when he got done explaining that to Peter, he drew a line in the sand and said, now, Peter, that you know that, follow me. Peter. Pentecost is a great thing, but I, I need you to understand this comes with a price. Okay, they're going to put you on a cross, hang you upside down. They're going to throw you in jail. Do you understand that cost? Now, folks, if I get you to understand something tonight, it's this. My job is to reach the world. Your job is to reach the world. This church has one mission, to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. And it's going to cost us something. And cost us money. You know why we have a Christian school? Train people to reach the world. If this Christian school is not training people to reach the world, I'm going to shut it down. All it becomes after that is just one big headache. Ours isn't even a business. It's not even making money. So if it's not doing its job, if it's not fulfilling its purpose, shut it down. Amen? So if we're not having Sunday school classes and clubs and everything we're doing is about training our young people to reach the world, shut it down. It comes with a cost. Yes, our, our uh, uh, Internet comes with a cost, but it's meant to reach the world. Yes, tracks come with a cost, but they're meant to reach the world. Yes, these lights and this building and the maintenance and the upgrades and the upkeep and the nursery and the club program all come with a cost. The power of God comes with a cost. The blessings of God come with a cost. You know one of the greatest privileges of being a pastor's son is you, i got to travel around and go to conferences and listen to great men of God preach and I watch the power of God fall. I was up the road three, three hours up the road of On Drive Baptist year 20 years ago, 25 years ago, pre-millennial conference. Remember one message preached, the rod of God, before he even started the invitation, that place was, the altar was packed. God literally shook that auditorium. I don't know what it holds, 1,500. God literally shook that place. You couldn't find a single person standing. Now, here's what we want. We want that, but we don't want to pay the cost. We're like Simon in the book of Acts. It, it, it pulling out a $20 bill. I, I want some of that power. 
You, you watch 18-year-olds down in the house. Oh, God, give me power. Give me that selfish prayer. Oh, God, magnify me quickly. Give me a position. Make me powerful. God's not in that business. And reaching the world and surrendering to God's will and having the power of God in your life, it comes with a great cost. Now, let me, let me help you out. We're getting into the message now. That was all introduction, so I get you to this point. Are you with me? When someone has an eternal perspective, they don't talk about the cost. They don't even see the cost. They talk about the investment. That's a, Pastor, how do you know if I have the right perspective? Your speech betrayeth thee. Because someone that has surrendered God's will and sees the things God sees the way God sees them and has the right perspective says... We're investing in missions. We're investing in our young people. We're investing in the school. We're investing in clubs. We're investing in God's work. It's an investment. You ever seen someone in business that's invested in stocks and bonds? You ever seen their face light up? I've got an investment in gold and silver and mutual funds, and i got an investment in Xerox and in, uh, Caterpillar, and, man, this year it's doing well. They're not saying that that mutual fund cost me $10,000. Are you getting in? When you have the right perspective, you don't talk about the cost. Talk to Borden, William Borden of Yale, who died as a young man, and David Brainerd and Jim Elliott, and these men that died 28, 30, 32 years of age, they wouldn't tell you about the cost of going to the Inca Indians. They wouldn't tell you about the cost and the sacrifice of giving up millions in a career. They would say, I invested, and it was a wise investment. And you talk to someone has the right perspective and they're not looking back and saying, I could have owned a nice house on the lake. They're saying, wow, where the rights come through. What an investment. They see Brother Keith come through, you can see their eyes light up and they say, I've invested in that ministry. I've invested in Uganda. I've invested in that orphanage. I've invested in those churches. You guys know Brother Gomez? He's preached behind this pulpit. His nephew last year was kidnapped and asked for 300,000 pesos. That family began to sell and write and get rid of anything they could and borrow. And they came up with 300,000 pesos. And they paid that ransom. Didn't hear anything for a week. And a week later, that nephew ended up in a hospital in Monterey. One of the fortunate few in Mexico that actually get released. You know what the Gomez family didn't say? Oh, that boy cost us. A lot of money. Cost me my truck, my fridge, my life savings. They said, wow, we got a boy back. You know what they said? If they would have asked for 500000 we would have given five hundred. They said, what's the difference? It's not your boy. Because when it's your boy and it's personal, your perspective changes. And you know why you see it as a cost and everything's a cost? And they're asking... Oh, great. I've got to pay $5 for a uniform. Oh, great. I've got to pay $50 for a trip. Oh, great. I've got to put $500 into a missionary. Oh, great. We've got to buy an organ. Oh, great. We just spent $700 on tracks. You invest where your heart is. That's why you invested in that vehicle, and you've got five years, and those payments are choking you. You've got $600 a month. $400 payment and $200 in insurance, and you're driving around like a man that just walked on the moon. Yeah, you got five years of that, partner. 
Yeah? But you know what? Because that has your heart. That's an investment. You don't even tell anyone about the $600 payments. You just say, I'm the proud owner of a new truck. No, you're not. The bank's a proud owner of a new truck. You may never own that truck. Amen. You know what? When your heart's in the work of God and you understand you've got an eternal perspective and your heart's set on eternity, you're not talking about a cost. You're saying we're investing in the right things. Can I get an amen tonight? Here's what's going to happen. When you have an eternal perspective, all of a sudden you're going to take the Great Commission as something personal. You know why I know you don't have an eternal perspective? You look at the Great Commission. There's something we can do through missionaries. Something the brethren can do on Saturday morning. Those with the gift. Knock on a door. You've got to be buzzed like Nate to knock on a door. Talk to someone about their soul. Are you crazy? When you get the eternal perspective, you know how I know who has, how few people have eternal perspective? Because every day they wake up and say, my duty today is the Great Commission. You know what your motivation is? It's not a promotion. It's not an increase in salary. It's not a jump to a higher position, a better job, a different city. Your motivation is heaven and hell. And you wake up today and say, what can I do for heaven? What can I do to keep people out of hell? And you know what rarely even crosses the mind of the average Christian? Tell me how many people, children of God, whose motivation is heaven or hell. Anytime during the day, anytime during the week, anytime during the month, anytime during their ministry. What did you do today for heaven? What did you do this week for heaven? You say, preacher, what's the real problem? Perspective. Until you say, my life is about eternity. And then those around you say, he flipped a lid. Do you see the way they handed out that track? Do you see the way they gave that offering? Did you see the way he didn't just send a Bible to Uganda? He sent a crate. I love to be around people. Here in a couple of weeks, we have Brother Arby Ouellette coming who has an eternal perspective. You know why he's turned his city upside down for God? You know why he preaches 50 meetings a year and pastors a church? You know why he drives an old car and lives a simple life? Eternal perspective. Man would call that crazy. Why would Brother Ramos, who could run a multi-million dollar corporation, be in Mexico driving. He preached at our church on Friday night, got in his car, drove six hours over some of the most dangerous roads in Mexico to show up at a six o'clock prayer meeting and eight o'clock soul winning that next morning. Now that's crazy. When he came in to preach, he said, Preacher, when do we go soon? And I said, we have an appointment set up. To, he said, we have just one. I said, how many do you want? He said, I'd like three or four. I'll get you five. Why would someone do that? It's called eternal perspective. You know how others would come to church, sit in a pew, labor to go to church, 
church. Just labor to go to church. That is labor. That's cruel and unusual punishment for the average Christian. Three services a week, 20 minutes on the road coming and going, an hour service, three specials, three hymns, and three prayers? you got to be kidding me. What's the problem, preacher? Perspective. Two words that will change your life. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.